again and welcome to an exciting new series from Macintosh and Maud Haven't Seen What? This week, the Walter PPK, Bond Girls, a vodka martini shaken not stirred. Macintosh and Maud are jumping straight into James Bond's first screen appearance and let's just say it was a bit underwhelming. Still, Sean Connery is perfectly dreamy and a little devilish to boot. We just hope the rest of the movies can catch up to his charm. Enjoy our review of 1962's Dr. No. Hey everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Maud. And this week, we start off with the movie that began everything. 1962's Dr. No. A resourceful British government agent seeks answers in a case involving the disappearance of a colleague and the disruption of the American space program. A budget of $1.1 million, mm-hmm. this movie had a total box office of $59.5 million. Yeah, so this movie... Went over a like gangbusters. Did awesome. Bond. James, James Bond. Bond. Specifically, Sean Connery. And how in God's name have you never seen a Sean Connery Bond movie? I mean... <laughs> like, okay, I, I know they replayed them on TV. You know, no cable, but like they would play them because they're pretty tame... For a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon showing. Especially if you edit things. Like, there's very little to edit out. The not tame moments of those movies are easy to take out. Yeah. That's really what it boils down. So, I'm, it's just, like, I knew they, I know they played. I know there are a couple times where I, like, turned the channels, like, what is this? And maybe my dad was like, oh, this is James Bond. This is such and such. And I'd be like, all right, whatever. Because I know my dad liked them. He was a kid when these were coming out. So, again, my my parents didn't own movies. Like, if they weren't kids' movies on VHS, we just didn't own them. But you didn't sit down and watch a whole one of these movies? No, I I saw all of the Pierce Brosnan. Because, like, I like an action movie. I like the gadgets, the cars. Like, I'm cool with all of that. Um, But, yeah, Pierce Brosnan was my first Bond. And I was like, all right, it's all right, whatever. You know, okay. My brother was super obsessed with GoldenEye on N64, which is an amazing game. I played it myself, and I'm not into, like, first-person shooter type stuff. That was a big fucking deal. It was, yeah, it was great. Um, And then, you know, Daniel Craig came along, and I'm like, this is fucking amazing. So, like, I'm all in here. And I've been perfectly happy ever since. I mean, I grew up on Roger Moore. I think those are the ones I saw mostly. Mm -hmm. We did have cable, but, you know, comparably, those were the easier cable watches. Mm -hmm. I think the Sean Connery ones were still kind of a big deal, and they wouldn't necessarily play those as often. Yeah. Though, you know, they do marathons whenever. Mm -hmm. This one, I had never seen before. Okay. I've seen a lot of the Sean Connerys, Mm -hmm. but I had never sat down and watched the original, the first, Uh Dr. No. Okay. All right, let me get... Some overall thoughts before we sort of dive in. Okay. This is a really lame movie. It is. It's lame. Especially since I know what Bond eventually becomes. Right. On, in terms of uh, on screen. So yeah, I was, it was disappointed that some of the things that I know are just a part of the movie, like the car and the queue and the gadgets and all of that stuff. Uh, the only thing I got here was... The Bond girl and a car chase. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the shake and not stirred thing. But he didn't even say it. The other dude said it. The bartender said it. So it's kind of like, meh. This movie, mm-hmm. somebody wrote it in the IMDb reviews and I thought it was perfect. Okay. Was 
they didn't have the confidence of the story yet. It I... feels like this is a treatment of a script mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out how everything's going to work. So in planning to do this series, I did do a little bit of research on like the franchise. Okay. Okay. I didn't read the trivia for this particular movie, but I know this is not the first James Bond story that Ian Fleming wrote. Oh, hell no. Casino Royale is the original okay. Bond story. My understanding is that they picked this particular story for budget reasons because they didn't have to, they wouldn't have to build as many elaborate sets. Like, it was low-key. Well, let me talk about our producers. Okay. And get into some of that. Okay. But am I, am I, am I right on that? You're in part? a bit of the, okay, the ballpark okay. there. Yeah. Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli, a.k.a. <laughs> Cubby Broccoli. Uh, the Broccoli family owns the rights to these films. Okay. Through their Eon Productions and Dan Jack. And okay. They own, yeah, okay. They, they own are the Bond franchise family. Everything has to go through them. Are they still? Oh, yes. Okay. They own okay. everything. Saltzman and Broccoli produced every Bond movie together through... Oh, we're going to say it so many times. I'm sorry, but it just sounds like salty broccoli. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> uh, they produced all of the movies together through 1975. Okay. So all of the Connery plus a few of the Roger Moores. Okay. This was done on a shoestring budget. Yeah. United well, Artists, yeah a million dollars is not a lot. United Artists wasn't willing to pony up more than a million dollars for the movie. And okay. then they only got an extra hundred thousand to do the Dr. No's lair blow up at the end. The okay. explosion. So originally they wanted to produce Thunderball. Okay. That It's like the eighth Bond novel. I don't know. I've never read the Ian Fleming novels. Okay. But Thunderball was in a legal dispute between Ian Fleming and the author of the screenplay, mm-hmm. Kevin McClory. That will come into play later. I do know about that one. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Thunderball. Yes. Because it's a whole thing. Yeah. But Dr. No was timely. And it was timely because the American space, the space race was going okay. on and Americans were launching rockets mm-hmm. and having trouble. Yes. And so. Which was covered in our The Right Stuff review. And everything about this movie is about Dr. No sabotaging the American space program. I don't know that budget was a factor in them deciding to do this story. Okay. I think budget was something that constrained them that they just had to deal with while they were doing the movie. Well, but that makes sense. If you're if you're going to be on a small budget, you need to keep your location count small. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just makes sense. And everything was filmed in Jamaica, in Kingston, okay. or at Pinewood Studios in London. That makes sense. So. That's cool. Those two places, I mean, that mine where Dr. No is, is an actual bauxite mine in Jamaica. And bauxite, for anybody who's confused by this. Yeah, I had to ask this when we were watching it. It is the natural ore version of aluminum. Okay. And I guess it's mined in Jamaica. Or was. <laughs> cool. Who knows? But no, this is this is proto-Bond. Like, this feels like the origin story. You know what it feels like? What? It feels like TV Bond. A little bit. Like t- Yeah, like, we're testing them out to see if people like them before, like, we take them to the big screen. That's what it feels like. And so... From what we're used to, it's a little bit boring. It just kind of feels like a dud. Here's, here, yeah, it was a dud. But my thing is, I didn't understand the problem. Well, the biggest problem, honestly, is that MI6's man in Jamaica is gone. Yeah, like, I got that. Dead. That made sense. Some, they killed their, their person in Jamaica, and Bond has to go figure out what's up. 
But in reality. But, but then our villain is so vague, and then he has the guy following him, who turns out to be, like, an okay dude. But, like, what what is Dr. No doing this so bad? Like, okay, okay. I, I honestly, I just kept thinking about Austin Powers when I watched this, <laughs> which I really do want to go watch re- after we finish Bond. I really want to go do Austin Powers because I know it's a spoof of all this shit. Oh my God, yes. Um, Which, you know, I enjoyed Austin Powers for the most part. That So this could be fun, but I'm just like, Dr. Evil is way better than this. Well. <laughs> and it's super fun. This is not our best Bond villain I by I far. That. And we're going to get some way better ones. Believe me. Would it have helped if Dr. No had a fucking monkey? Because that was in the original draft of the script. I mean, it would have made him a little bit more menacing, for sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Not have a monkey. Dr. No was a monkey. Would the monkey speak like a person? I have no idea. They vetoed this right out the fucking gate. I think that was the right decision. (laughs) Okay, because when did Planet of the Apes come out? Oh, that was 1968. Okay, so that was way after this. No, that's, that was a whole different thing. I, I'm just trying to, like, get my bearings hey, sci-fi, here. sci-fi, Bond Spy, come I'm on. I'm trying to get my bearings here, okay? Don't let, these, don't let those two twin meet. That's I, just... I think the other thing is they were going for realism. Okay. And... That's good. That's good. I like that. Well, I like the idea that Bond could exist in the real world. Except that I don't think moviegoers were ready for that, and I don't think the style that they were doing lent itself to that at all. Daniel Craig it works for because we're used to the gritty anti-hero character. We're used to that. We're used to this futuristic technology. We're used to, you know, lots of firearms. Um, But in 1962, we don't have that. He should have... They should have gone more of the ladies' man detective route. Oh, oh, believe me. A little bit more, maybe. Uh, but I mean, okay. it's so funny to hear you say this because I know what's coming. Shut up! And I know just how deep it's gonna go. Okay, well, I'm a newbie. Leave me alone. I know. And I'm trying not to like. I'll no, look I at understand. the cast list and things and the synopsis of the the movie, but I'm not like. This is your show. You're like. Oh no no no! It's you're totally fun. To Bond expert. Here. It's just fun. It's just fun thinking about like all the stuff that comes after this going like, oh man, because we got done with this movie. I looked at you, I was like, I promise it gets better. It gets way better. Okay, but here's the thing. My frame of reference is this is where they started Bond, and currently we are at Daniel Craig. And I love the Daniel Craig ones. Yeah. Even the kind of a bummer Quantum of Solace, I really like. (laughs) Like, I did really like Quantum of Solace. It's kind of like a schlog, but I liked it. What's weird in a way is I could see a universe in which... After we get done with Daniel Craig Bond, he mm-hmm. morphs into Sean Connery Bond. That's sort of how people have seen it, where it comes full circle. And if you see that Daniel Craig becomes such detached from everything and just begins to view the world with this dark sense of humor, well, then he morphs into this Bond. Well, I do know that piece of trivia that Ian Fleming loved Sean Connery, that he actually wrote it into his books that he had Scottish ancestry hmm. which w- is what they put in the most recent bond film true with the albert finney character and they originally wanted sean connery to play daniel craig's father mm-hmm. but sean connery's retired so that's not he happening. has he is retired and but also he's 88 years old we'll talk about that okay so i do want to touch on this fun bit that came out of... I looked at Wikipedia for this, because they actually have some better information about the background. That's that's where I got... I, I looked for the franchise information. Because yeah. the other part of this was, I had no idea what order the movies went in. Oh, yeah. I had to figure some stuff out. <laughs> so, there are things that are missing from the film, 
And in reading this list, I understood the reason why they changed all of these things. Okay. Differences between the novel. Mm -hmm. Now, the major plot structure is about the same as Dr. No, the novel. Okay. But there's some things that are different. There's no fight with a giant squid with James Bond. Okay. They used a tarantula instead of a centipede. That's cool, because I would find a spider scarier than a centipede. The bauxite mine was supposed to be a guano quarry. Gross. That's, <laughs> other than people not knowing what bauxite is, that was that was a good choice. Uh, Dr. No was supposed to be diverting U.S. missiles, not NASA rockets. Um, I understand changing that for the time. It was. So it, I'm okay with that. That's it was fair. a timely thing. That's okay. Doctor No was supposed to be buried under a shoot of guano instead of die by radioactive poisoning. I like the radioactive poisoning better. <laughs> and Spectre is not in the book, but they talk about it in this movie. Okay, well, it's a thing. So, like, I'm like for me, I was just like, oh, there it is, yay! <laughs> like, it's one of those like you pepper it in here and there because it's a thing. Well, sort of. I know. But Spectre becomes such a big honking deal. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to our director, Terence Young. What do you think about the directing of this movie? Sucks. Oh, really? I think it's really stiff. Uh, I don't think that's the director. I think that's the writer. Well, the writing's bad. Okay, we didn't really talk about the writing. We talked about the story. The, ri- the writing is not good. No, because it, it locks these characters in way too tight. I think the director just... I don't know. That could also come down to casting. But everything feels stiff and forced. Nobody, even Sean Connery, is not their character. They're not comfortable in these roles. So, like, it's just a bad combination. So I kind of feel like, I feel like the director's just kind of like, all right, let me point the camera and get what's on schedule for today. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, because actually he was way more involved than you would think he was. And in fact, he's going to be involved in this franchise pretty early on in a couple of other movies. Okay. What else did this director do? Anything I might recognize? Well, he did direct Wait Until Dark. Oh, Okay. And he would go on to direct From Russia With Love and Thunderball, okay. which we will be watching. In the series, yes. There were four directors who turned them down. Oh, okay. Guy Green, whose claim to fame was being the cinematographer for David Lean's Great Expectations, oh. which is widely known for its cinematography. Yes, okay. Guy Hamilton, who we are going to get to know intimately with Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, well, Okay. Val Guest, who directed the Woody Allen portions of the spoof Casino Royale. Okay. And Ken Hughes, famous as the writer and director of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, sad. (laughs) I would say that this directing is competent. I don't know that it's over the top. The biggest problem is the story. Exactly. And we've we've said it many times. No amount of amazing acting and brilliant directing can save shitty writing and, and a I, bad story. And like, I have we to know s- that's the problem with this movie. And I have to say, how he stages scenes with the cinematographers, when we're not dealing with some of the really schlocky special effects, which mm-hmm. that's just what we have to do, having that shoestring of budget and still making things look as good as he does, the Baccarat scenes, the the scenes in you know out in Kingston mm-hmm. and different things like that, he makes them look really good. I think um, I think what you said that they're competent is fair. And I think... But, like, it definitely doesn't bring anything to the the movie. But there is something more interesting that he brings up when we talk about casting. Mm -hmm. And that brings us right into the man himself, Sean Connery, as James Bond. He's so pretty. (laughs) Like, I forget, like, he's... 
always been a handsome man even now. I mean, he's 88 years old today. But, okay, and, and everyone's going to be roll their eyes this comparison, but it reminds me of John Hamm in Mad Men. It's just that, mm, you're pretty. <laughs> Very classic look. I mean, and he's, it's that eyebrow, it's that fucking eyebrow of his, that he's got those really dark, thick eyebrows, and he can just do this hook with this one eyebrow, and it mm-hmm. goes up, and I was just like, fuck you! <laughs> it's, it's, it's very sexy. The entire movie, he does feel stiff, but that scene at the Baccarat table, or Chemin de Fer, excuse me, uh, yeah, it's a it's type both. of Baccarat, the second he says, Bond... James Bond. That is where he is the most the Bond that we we fantasize about. Oh, yeah. Uh, and with the cigarette, it's just like, okay, that's where he knows what he's doing. And I can be, that's where I feel like he's amazing. And later on, I know, I know it gets better. Yeah. And he will settle in more to this. He's, he's easing it. I said smooth, but stiff. Yeah. He's no, no. got, he's got the, the smoothness and the, mm-hmm. and the panache and just yes. everything there. But he's just stiff still. He doesn't have that gliding air about him yet. And he's much tanner than I would have ever thought. Um, (laughs) Well, he is in Jamaica. He's getting some sun. He's in Jamaica. I just, you know, today, I just think of him as having solid white hair and a white beard. But he's always been... He's always been... He's always had a darker Relatively tanned. Yeah, no, I just... Again, I haven't seen this, and I know this will shock some people, but that damn toupee. <laughs> that toupee deserves its own salary and an Oscar. Yeah, we do have to mention, since 17, he had been balding. So they had, they actually had two toupees. Mm-hmm. They had his regular toupee that he wore during the just normal scenes, and then they had a wet toupee. Regular and a dry toupee. So a dry toupee, but they had the wet toupee for him in the water, mm-hmm. and him escaping through the tunnels and stuff like that. And but man, that's that an costumer. The <laughs> wig technician. Oh, of course. Uh, well, probably then it was like one I, person. It was probably costumes no, that, and wigs and everybody together. No, that, they didn't have very much money. <laughs> I, he, I wouldn't even surprise if he paid for it himself. He clearly had no problem wearing a toupee and everybody knows about it. But if you didn't know, you would never know. No. And so I'm just, like, watching this, and I, j- I completely forgot about it, but then I was like, oh, yeah, he wore a toupee. Uh-huh. That's fucking amazing. Oh, even, yeah. Like, even by today, like, for today, if they use that exact same technique, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. The British are amazing at doing things with films with no budget. They just are. Yeah, no. And we'll talk about it a little bit in the trivia, but just, like, no money, they're somehow able to pull stuff completely out of their ass. So yes, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Sean Connery. Signed to five films under the contract. Okay, right off uh, the bat. There is a rumor that he was found in a contest to, quote, find James Bond. Mm-hmm. That's not true, but there was a contest. Okay. That was big in public. They mm-hmm. picked some finalists. The winner was a model named Peter Anthony. And when they screen tested him, he could not act to save his fucking life. Okay. So they went, oh, no, no. Nope. I mean, they they tried, but they were they like... They tried, but they it. just couldn't get lucky, so there you go. Connery showed up to his audition, scruffy and completely unpressed, <laughs> but he had enough swagger during oh, yeah. the audition it's all about swagger. that they knew, and they said they knew it as they watched him walk to his car. Terrence Young comes into this story, because mm-hmm. as soon as he is cast, Terrence Young basically puts the full Kingsman treatment on him. Mm-hmm. He takes him out to clubs. Mm-hmm. He takes him to get tailored, okay. gets his hair cut. He grooms him, gets him dressed, starts teaching him about 
nightlife, fine foods. Being a, a refined Englishman. And makes him into this refined London guy. Cool. So Terrence Young had a lot to do with this initial setup of Bond's character. Okay. And I think that's where he gets a little notch above okay. just the normal thing. Okay, that's fa- that's fair. That was one big he important He groomed thing. him. He he did a really good job of helping Connery get into yeah. that refined state. Because okay. I think otherwise he was just kind of a gruff Scotsman. Oh, there's who would have been better. Oh. The original choice for James Bond mm-hmm. was Cary Grant. Oh, that makes total sense. He He's probably a little too old for this. Was only willing to sign on for one film. I, I understand that. Five films is a lot. It's a big commitment. I mean... Especially when you're Carrie fucking Grant. When you're Carrie Grant, when you're starting a new franchise that nobody's ever done before. Mm-hmm. It's it's the equivalent of Downey Jr. signing on to do Iron Man. Yeah, it's a big and honking I mean, deal. I, I mean, here's the thing. At that time, Downey had to. He had been in movie jail for so long. Like, this is a great opportunity. You want to make some money and maybe get to do something cool? You better sign on for all three. So it's kind of like... This is a risk. Yeah. And that was the first one out the gate. So so Connor, yeah, Connery was kind of taking a risk. A younger guy made sense to take on a role like that. Exactly. Richard Johnson, a dude I've never heard of in my damn life, so we'll skip right past him. Okay. Patrick McGowan, the original prisoner. Oh, okay. Also the warden from Escape from Alcatraz, and you may know him recently as Edward I from Braveheart. (laughs) Okay. Then David Niven from The Guns of Navarone. He would go on to play 007 in the spoof Casino Royale from 1967. And you may also know him from Around the World in 80 Days or every fucking Pink Panther movie. (laughs) Broccoli claims that Roger Moore was considered. Okay. Roger Moore says in his autobiography that nobody had ever approached him until Live and Let Die. Okay. But Roger Moore, during this time, was on The Saint... In British television. Okay. Broccoli claims he was too young-faced at the time, so who okay. knows. But the saint was pretty-faced boy being a con man, so, yeah. you know, well, could have worked out. Similar similar lane. And hey, Roger Moore was going to show up later. Yep. Do you pick anybody other than Connery? No. <laughs> Never. I will say, Cary Grant as Bond would have been kind of it's, amazing to watch. It's great, but I understand him not doing it. And he wouldn't have been... I don't think he could have put the violence off as well. The charm, absolutely. That the is, violence would have been weird. That is the one thing that my experience with Bond, you know, I, had, I only had Pierce Brosnan and I had Daniel Craig. And the thing I loved about Daniel Craig was everything I've seen of Bond up until now, and even the clips of the previous Bond films, like Sean Connery and Roger Moore, was that, oh, these guys are just handsome. And Daniel Craig, yeah, you get he's handsome and women are going to fall for him. But that guy... He'll murder you in a second. Well. Like, that was the vibe that I felt from everything else I had seen that was missing. And for the first time, I felt like this James Bond is a killer and also is a ladies' man, which I thought was a really key ingredient. And there's some moments in this movie, even, Mm -hmm. where I see that with Sean Connery. I did not see that at all. When the professor comes in the room and he shoots him in cold blood. You also have to understand, in 1962, no, I, I understand. that was insane for an audience to watch. No, I, I get all of that, but it's possible I'll see it in the other films. But in this one, I didn't. I didn't get that vibe from him at all. Yeah. I think as you're watching them, mm-hmm. if, you, if you kind of take a step back and think, what would an audience of that time have thought about this? Mm-hmm. He's incredibly, like, shoot first, ask questions later. And that's a bit 
it'll take you back a little bit. Oh, no, I get that this movie was like, whoa, for a lot of different reasons. Uh-huh. And yet tamer than some of the other stuff I remember from yeah, this franchise. Yeah, still lame. Ursula Andress as Honey Rider. Okay. Oh, man. I mean, her bikini scene is very iconic. Oh, yeah. Good for you. That's about it. Her accent's horrible. She's not actually speaking, by the way. Oh, really? She she's, got dubbed? She's being dubbed along with the lady playing Sylvia Trench by an actress named Nikki Vanderzil. Because Ursula Andress had this incredibly thick Dutch-German accent. That probably would have been better than the whatever the crap they put over her. No, I'm... She's pretty, that's it. Goodbye. She was cast two weeks before filming. Okay. Based off a picture from her husband, John Derrick. Whoopity do. And apparently she's like the queen of European erotic film after this. Good for her. So. I mean, her only job was to like look hot in, in, a, in a bikini. It's that bikini. It's that bikini. I mean, which, for, like, damn cool. that bikini. <laughs> cool. Like, I know, I know that was quite scandalous and all right, whatever. I don't care. Joseph Wiseman as Dr. No. Utterly forgettable. <laughs> he was better as a disembodied voice <laughs> than he was in his actual role. Yeah. He was, cre- that, that voice when he's talking to the professor is creepy as fuck. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then I we like see him it. and you're like, I don't, I don't understand. Originally, Ian Fleming wanted to cast his friend, Noel Coward. Oh, okay. The playwright and actor himself. The, the... He responded with a telegram. Dr. No? No, no, no. Of course, well, of no course, coward of course would say he that. Did. <laughs> Fleming then considered Christopher Lee his step cousin. Oh. AKA Count yeah. Dooku. Yeah. But Count the producers. Dooku and what's his butt from Lord of the Rings? And the Wicker Man and God knows yeah, how many. Uh, he was Dracula. He would have been good. He would have been really good. I, I think he's. I, he would win, he would have been better. But they already cast Wiseman, so. He's who I would choose. And I will say. By all accounts, Joseph Wiseman's actually a pretty good actor. It just, this was not no, the role. he was utterly forgettable in here. I would pick Chris Lee. And finally, the only other big name I would throw out is Jack Lord as yep. Felix Leiter, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Mr. Hawaii Five-O himself. Yeah, when you're like, do you recognize him? I was like, yeah, why are you the Hawaii Five-O? I'm like, yeah, that's him! Uh, he's fine. This was his only appearance in the entire franchise. He demanded more money after the film came out, mm-hmm. and, and they, they said recast. bye-bye. Lighter has appeared frequently throughout the franchise, mm-hmm. most notably by Jeffrey Wright in the Daniel oh, Craig version. I love Jeffrey Wright. And I think, I haven't looked this up, but I would think that in the Pierce Brosnan versions, he's the Joe Don Baker character, the older American guy. Uh, it's been so long. I mean, I. I he's I, the American CIA he, agent he, who keeps showing up with Bond. That's, yeah, that's cool. That's the big thing you know. I'm fine with that, and I'm also fine with it changing, just like the idea that James James Bond is a moniker for this agent, and the person who is James Bond changes. Yeah, that's a... Because James Bond is a Time Lord, so why can't Liker be one? There you go. (laughs) There are lots of recurring actors who begin with this movie. Uh, Bernard Lee, M, in this film, would be M through the next ten films. Oh, wow. Lois Maxwell, playing Moneypenny, Mm -hmm. who is fucking great. She is wonderful. She is so great, and she's only, I mean, she only gets like two or three scenes in each movie, but in every one of those, she's just so good. I take back what I said previously. That's the other scene where Sean Connery is fully James Bond. Oh, with him and Moneypenny? Oh, yes. yes. Like, I know it's, like, overly sexual, but, like, I love Moneypenny in that movie because she, like, it's all business, but she fully enjoys the flirting. Oh, she loves to flirt with him. She, and 
Like, but she also loves to shut him the fuck down. That it's it's a it's a power game between them mm-hmm. where both are willing per- participants. So that's why I'm like, this is inappropriate for the office place, but it's cool. She would be <laughs> she would be money penny for the next fourteen films. Holy shit, that's awesome. I know. Now that is what's missing from the current Bond films. Now what you penny. might have noticed is the absence of a very familiar face as Q. Oh yeah, there was no Q in this film. They call the armorer Major Boothroyd. Mm-hmm. This is the scene where he gets his Walter PPK and oh. the guy comes in. This was Peter Burton. Okay. Peter Burton would have gone on to play mm-hmm. the quartermaster yeah. in the later movies, but he was unavailable. So they cast Desmond Llewellyn. Okay. And you will know Desmond Llewellyn as the old dude in all of the Bond movies until he died. Okay. When John Cleese replaced him. Okay, great. So from Russia with Love will be the first time we get to meet him. And okay. then you will have... He'll be there forever. Q forever and ever and ever. So one of my favorite things about Bond films, and just any spy movies like Mission Impossible, any, any of those types of films, I love the gadgets. It's like one of my favorite parts. And I'm like, oh, we can compare gadgets. Well, we can't do that in this movie. One, because it's the first one. And two, because there are no gadgets. There are no, There is one gadget, and it's that Walter PPK it's not versus gadget, his it's Beretta. A gun. It's, it's an important moment for him. I, but I know. I get that. But no uh, gadgets. Finally, Anthony Dawson, as Professor Dent, would go on to make appearances throughout the rest of the film. So mm-hmm. he's, he's a name that's going to come back up again in the next few movies. Okay. So just keep an eye out for him. He actually does a pretty good job, I feel like, as sort of this bad guy henchman type character. Okay. He's not bad. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of trivia. Okay. There was only one sound editor on hand. Normally you have two different people, one doing effects and one doing okay. dialogue. Yeah. They only had one guy. <laughs> okay. So any of those sound issues, yeah, they were flying by the seat of their pants. M's office was entirely decorated in cardboard paintings and a pleather door covering. <clears throat> it cost 745 pounds. Wow. It's like 1500 uh, bucks. And think back to how that office looks. It looks pretty damn good. Some cool cardboard. Looks like a stodgy office. Uh-huh. The aquarium in Dr. No's office is magnified footage. Oh, I did know that. And they originally didn't intend for it to be magnified. The problem was, was when they got the footage, it was blown up way larger than they thought. Yeah. So they wrote a line in for Dr. No to say that says, yes, it acts as a magnifying glass. I'm cool with that. That's what they had to deal with. That's cool. The art director is not named in the credits. They get in trouble. And when he came out to ask Broccoli about it, Broccoli gave him a gold pen mm-hmm. in return. Solid gold, I'm sure. I mean. Yeah. But basically it was like, we don't have the money to redo the credit sequence, so you're just going to have to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Ken Adam, the production designer, said his whole budget was 14,500 pounds. That was it. That was all he had to do all of those sets with. Yeah, that's no money. It's <laughs> no money. And they, they thought it was funny... In Dr. No's office, there is a painting Mm -hmm. of the portrait of the Duke of Wellington by Goya. About a week before filming started, that painting had been stolen in London. And they knew that they wanted a stolen painting in his office. Oh, cool. Awesome. So like the night before the film, Ken Adam was painting Painting a traced copy of it. That's cool. He says that got stolen from the set as well. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Stolen painting of a stolen painting. And finally, the tarantula scene. 
Now I did know about this. Okay, so it's done plexiglass on top of him. So the way uh, they filmed it was they had the bed vertical, put plexiglass over Sean Connery, mm-hmm. and then had the spider crawl. So if you're watching closely, it's, the, it's on the sheet. Well, no, it's when you see it like crawling up his shoulder uh-huh. on the direct shot on his face, you can see that it's not like on his shoulder. Oh, okay. And that's because it's on a sheet of plexiglass. Yeah. But they didn't like the way it looked. So, so they, they brought the in the stuntman. Stuntman, okay. And he says it's the most terrifying scene he's ever filmed. Yeah, because Sean Connery is famously terrified of spiders. I didn't know about that. Yeah, no, he is. Also, stuntman Bob Simmons is the man shooting the gun at the intro sequence, not Sean Connery. I knew it was a Sean Connery. At first. Yeah. Eventually he shows up, but originally it's Bob Simmons, his stunt double. That is, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Like... I, they redo it for every film now, and I love it, and it's amazing, and it's perfect. And now I think it's all digital. The original way they did it, they had a pinhole camera yeah. in a gun barrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Film him, shoot at the gun. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. It's perfect. So I wanted to talk about, they gave this quote about the legacy, mm-hmm. and all of the things that this movie brings up, mm-hmm. and what we're going to get to look for later on. Okay. The James Bond theme, the gun barrel sequence, his mission briefing with M, Bond girls, the organization Spectre, narrow escapes, Bond's luck and skill, his signature Walter PPK, and the license to kill, overambitious villains, henchmen, and allies. There's also Bond, James Bond, mm-hmm. vodka martini shaken not stirred, stirred, love interests, and weaponry. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a long-running theme of the American space program being a problem, and it goes throughout all of these different movies. That's awesome. And that bikini was a huge stinking deal. Sales of bikinis skyrocketed mm-hmm. after this movie came out. Of course they did. Now, before we finally get to our ratings, okay. we must talk about problematic issues. Because this movie, and all of these movies, have a lot of problems. So I will say, this movie is not as rapey as some of the other ones can get. Yeah, no, everyone seems to be like pretty on board for what's happening. It's kind of... It's a little weird. The kissing is just... The kissing is horrible because basically you have two actors who are just putting their mouths up against each other and then opening their mouths but not doing it. Like, you can tell they are not actually kissing. They're, like, smashing faces together. Yeah, it's, it's, so... it's like the face-kissing equivalent of dry humping. And it's like... it's like That's what's happening. And it's almost violent in a way. Like, it's like, oh, oh, no, that's not... Yeah, it's no. not good. It's not sexy at all. So he, he doesn't seem like a, a womanizer. He just seems like like a charmer in this one i'm cool with that but the racism oh the racism there's a lot of racism so the jamaicans are all from like brooklyn i guess (laughs) okay it's so weird it's it's not it's not fun they talk in this weird dialect that was like just let them talk like they're from jamaica man (laughs) honey rider is supposed to be jamaican that would have been cool except that she's less tan than sean connery yeah, no, it's just not good. Like, all that shit is just like... Uh... And and Dr. No. Dr. No is half Chinese. And we've got a total white dude playing. Oh, yeah. No. That's the worst one. Nothing in this movie is worse than Fisher Stevens playing the Indian gentleman in Short Circuit. So, I, it's just... I just rolled my eyes at it. Well, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can get there. I mean, I'm putting... But, like, it... that's my level of disdain. Like, you have to be that bad for me to be like, this is... This fucking horrible. But, like, this is the low bar. We're gonna get crazier than this with these movies. I like that. (laughs) So now it's time for ratings. 
And for our ratings this week, it is how many Walter PPKs. And your half points should be silencers. I go with a two. Two PPKs. Two PPKs. I really like Sean Connery. That's about it. <laughs> like, the story, the story sucks. This movie's really boring. Uh, I really... It's just... There's, there's, the story sucks. But you get some good moments and some good Sean Connery like, stuff Like, it set up the character. And I really like Sean Connery, so it's getting two. I'm gonna go two and a half. Two Walter PPKs and a silencer. Okay. I think it's very middling. I think it's a competently well-made Bond movie. And for the time, it strives to be pretty realistic, despite the craziness that happens in the third act. Yeah. It just, it's middle of the road for me. Mm-hmm. And so what I do see, though, are all the glimpses of what's to come. Uh-huh. And so for me, that little bit of expectation, I think, gives me the extra little silencer to make sure my gun doesn't, you know, attract any more attention than it already has. There's so many euphemisms going on here. <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty more. Yay! All right, so the next movie up, one year later, mm-hmm. 1963, From, from Russia, Russia With, with Love. Love. I think that we're about to pop off into crazy territory. Yay, crazy town. And look, if not, I know the third one's amazing. It's a masterpiece. I love it. But okay, we'll have to get there. So, until next time. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. This week we saw A Quiet Place. A family is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. Yep. There's not a whole lot to say about this movie, and there's not a whole lot said in this movie. Nope. There there are very few lines. (laughs) It is very quiet. (laughs) But it's good. I I liked it. If you've got a a small family around you, uh, please be warned. This is going to be a hard movie for you to watch. Um, yeah. If you are triggered by loss of children... And difficult births. I would skip this one. It's a horror show. But other than that, it's a good horror movie. It's uh, I love the concept. Uh, everyone in it is great. So Krasinski does a good job of keeping a tight through line, not wandering off into too many tangents. Yeah, um, the the movie's not too long. Oh no, it it moves like at a very I good think clip. It's, it's right at an hour and a half, and it's great. Um, doesn't linger. It. Good. We've got a an interesting problem that is solved in a very interesting way. A uh, cool fact is the daughter, uh, played by Millicent Simmons. Uh, she is actually deaf, but she does not have a, a cochlear implant like her character in the movie. So that just adds another layer to the problem, and it's great. The only thing for me is that by the third act of the movie, I felt the writing gets a little bit hokey. It should have moved just a hair faster in that last act. Well, a hair faster, but also I think we we got a little hacky and tropey mm-hmm. with how we sort of wrapped everything up. And not in the conclusion conclusion, but the family dynamics just get a little like, really? Are we really going to go through this part? It was good. I, I still liked it. I'd, again, I'm, I'll be careful not to be... St- I don't want to spoil anything. No. Um, but John Krasinski did an amazing job directing this. He really did. He, this is this is A++ work. And I do think... we did, Of course, we saw this at the Alamo, which they do their pre-show. And just before their very last clip they did was from The Office... When they're all trying to stay quiet. They're on their longest uh, silent streak and they're at 15 minutes. And that's just the greatest thing. And they start it with um, a previous time when John Krasinski was in a quiet place. It's 
But the other part of that is it is it is hard to watch and not think of Jim. Uh, yeah. Being I mean, in that sequence. We just have so many years of John Krasinski's expressive face. And his face is intensely expressive in this movie, too. Yeah. Just to, for different reasons. I think it was really a good idea that he had to do a lot of face acting and they gave him a beard. Yeah. I think that was a really good choice because otherwise I'd be like, why isn't Jim with Pam? What the fuck did they do to their children? Uh, like, that's what it would have become. But I'm also going to say, I think Emily Blunt steals the whole movie. Oh, she's amazing. She's the best part. She's amazing. Yeah. But John Krasinski did a great job directing this. He really did do a good job. That that feeling I had didn't really take away from the movie. It just kind of, every once in a while, I did a little eye roll at it. No, that's okay. So yeah, I would A plus recommend. Absolutely. Unless you're triggered or you don't want to deal with scary things. And then do not see this. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.